there are times when we're direct and we're bold and we call stuff out and where we speak truth to power. You know, I don't want to come across as saying those aren't real times where we need to speak out. I mean, we have a whole biblical tradition of, of the prophets, you know, calling out injustice and that needs to happen. But I think before we go to those more intense forms of communication, we try to start uh, however we can with, with um, regard for the other person, regard for their intentions. And as the, I mean, as the conversation moves on, it may need to take a different approach, but treating others with respect and giving ourselves permission to have boundaries and not to engage with everything. You're not called to win every argument and you're not called even to enter into every argument. Um, so don't, so give yourself grace to sometimes just walk away and, and catch your breath. Welcome back to Advent Next, a theological podcast curated for curious faith discussions. This is part two of our conversation with Dr. Seth Pierce as we talk about helpful tips and tools for tackling difficult conversations, improving communication, and developing interpersonal skills. Dr. Seth, professor of communication, is author of the book, Seeking and Understanding, How to Have Difficult Conversations Without Destroying Relationships. Before we dive in, we want to thank the Adventist Learning Community for making this program possible. If you're not already following us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, be sure to find us at the handle at AdventNext. You can follow our guest today, Dr. Seth Pierce, on Twitter at Seth J. Pierce, and me at Kendra R. Snow with the next. But right now, this is that next? Um, when it comes to you, talked something about like fundamental attribution error. So, mm-hmm. what is that, and how can we avoid it as one of our principles of communication? So I love this term. This is a term um, I learned earlier on in my doctoral experience. This is something I know we've all experienced this, but as a pastor, I experienced this uh, myself. I'm, I'm guilty of it and saw parishioners doing it. And, and it was always a thing that I, I didn't have a term for. I could just see it happening. Um, and so this term, fundamental attribution error, uh, essentially refers to assigning internal motives to external actions. We have this tendency when someone does something, we immediately, you know, judge that action. And say, well, this is why they did that. And we went, we, we haven't asked them any questions. We don't know for sure. I mean, certainly in some cases we have we've clear evidence for for motive, but a lot of times we just go about assigning these internal motives. Um, really easy way to illustrate this is if you set up a business lunch with somebody, and they're you know late, you know, or you uh, are for whatever reason, and they get there and immediately like, well, this person's disrespecting me. This person is um, disorganized and, and they may have had car trouble. You know, they may have, you know, hit a deer or something on the way over, or, mm. you know, they may have something else emotionally going on in their life. That's just sapping their mental energy and making it hard for them. I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but we will kind of go to that, that negative, you know, right away. And then we'll, we'll respond to them, you know, based on that internal motive we assigned without really, you know, much evidence, except this sort of one isolated, um, incident. Uh, yeah. there's a really, um, Luke 638 is a passage that a lot of us are familiar with, uh, usually applied to offering calls, you know, given it's given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, we put into your lap. Uh, and when you read that verse in context, you realize it's not talking about money. It's talking about how gracious we are with each other's reputations. Mm. It's talking about, you know, if I am gracious with other people's reputations, then, then that grace will be given back to me. It's not talking about, you know, whether I pay tithes and offerings. You know, um, right. and, and this is something, again, in our, sort, in our current media ecology and the way uh, persuaders and propagandists are, are manipulating things, it, we 
are being taught to pass those very quick judgments on people's motivations. Uh, and this isn't certainly isn't me saying people shouldn't be accountable or, or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but there is certainly, I think, a reduction in our willingness to be gracious to each other. And when you when you have that element in play, it becomes really difficult um, to get an understanding of, of what's going on on the other person's life. Now, we may find out that they did have a bad motive, and then that's a different situation. Um, yeah. But we, we often will start there. And that's a really difficult place to start a conversation from when I've already judged you as being having a bad character and you're out to get me. Yeah. I mean, but what do we do in situations like, how do we apply this to maybe a difficult conversation? Something that we might be intentioned about, whether it's gender equality or race discrimination or maybe something political, right? How do we, uh, is, is there a way that we can apply this where somebody seems to be taking a stance that is contrary to ours and it feels like they are revealing something internal about themselves, a bad motive, um, is there sure. a way that we can, you know, reinterpret that or? Yeah, there's a couple different things. Uh, I have a, um, a friend of mine, colleague, Aaron Jones, who does all kinds of diversity training, um, largely in the Pacific Northwest, but all over the place. And uh, she was invited in to do a presentation with us, pastors in Washington conference. And in her talk, she we certainly acknowledge that there are um, people with ill intent and people who are willfully, you know, just mean and, and prejudice and bad. Uh, but often she says people are, are ignorant and, uh, it's, it's easier for me to respond to somebody to start with, you know, um, to say, you know, this post that was made about gender or race, I need to address it perhaps, you know, cause it's an, uh, I don't believe it's correct or it's, or it's repeating, you know, um, uh, debunked, you know, um, ideas or whatever, but I, I don't, I want to make sure I'm responding to the, the content of the post without saying, without calling them names or, or somehow suggesting that the reason they posted it is because, you know, they hate, you know, you know, whatever, you know, whatever the context is. So I start by addressing the issues. I've had a couple of really good, um, recent experiences where someone, uh, one was a conversation about gender and feminism and uh, and a couple other things that happened. I don't remember totally the specifics about six months ago, but I got in there and I didn't, I didn't go after the person just said, here's, you know, um, some research and here's, you know, in terms of uh, my perspective as a communication scholar, here's what I know and cited some sources and uh, didn't talk about their motive for posting didn't talk about, I, I didn't know them, you know, um, but they actually responded really well. Like, Oh, I, I didn't know that, you know, um, th which would have been a different response had I gone after them and said, look, you know, you, you um, misogynist, you know, whatever. And, yeah. and gone after it that way, you know, um, cause you, now they may be, you know, who knows they, they may double down and that has certainly happens too. Um, where you see people kind of doubling down on their ignorance and then getting really, um, awful about it. Uh, but a, a lot of times what I find is, is people will post up, even if it, even if it just grates on me. And, and again, it's one of those moments like I need to wait 24 hours before I jump into this, <laughs> um, uh, just to let things cool down, but, but focus on the issue without going after the character of the person. Now, again, they may reveal some of their character and how they respond. Um, and I may get a better sense of things, but the other thing too to keep in mind, I found many times, not all the time, but many times when people are uh, really visceral in their responses, sometimes I, I've 
because there's a network of pastors and we talk. <laughs> um, uh, that's everyone should just just know that. Um, I might say, hey, I had this really strange interaction, and and you know, do you know this person? And come to find out, they've had been through a recent trauma. They've got some other stuff going on, and while they may be taking it out on me um, or a particular issue. It's not really about that. There's other stuff going in. And that's helped me many times respond to church members where I realize, okay, this is really irritating and ignorant and frustrating. Um, but I also recognize, you know, that they've had some extreme loss in their life recently and they're they're in a bad spot. And yeah. um, if I was in their place, I would need a little bit of grace. Not that you don't address the issue, um, mm-hmm. but you try not to go after the person because they're already pretty beat up. Now, um, the other thing that I found helpful, another kind of um, pro tip for online exchanges uh, is using direct messaging versus jumping into threads on social media. Mm. Uh, threads, uh, and, and we've all seen it derail really quickly because people who don't know each other jump into conversations and replies. Um, and I, you know, really, I seldom engage anymore, um, particularly on Facebook. I very rarely post in threads anymore, um, just because all these other people will will jump in who don't know me or don't know the other, and it just it just becomes a mess. So I direct message someone when they make a post that either I really like or that's inspiring or I have questions on, uh, and. I, I start very gentle and I, I just make a comment or a question. So they say, hey, I might say, I, I saw you posted this and I, I'm wrestling with it. Can you tell me a little bit more about how you think, you know, how I'm hearing it is this way? You know, what do you think? And, and it really um, opens up this, this space for a much healthier conversation that, that isn't get interrupted by other people. Uh, other times in the exchange, um, if I am in a thread and, and it, I can sense that it's ratcheting up a little bit, that's when I'll kind of dip out and D, DM the person. Um, and I've had really uh, amazing experiences where I've learned a ton from that other person from when they're coming from. Um, and sometimes when we were, I could see where the argument was going, um, it stopped the hostility and I've made friends and colleagues that now we now work together um, just because I recognize that that, again, that's the whole medium thing. That medium of being in a thread is not conducive to really good uh, conversation. Things get lost in translation. So I pivoted, went to the direct messages and I, uh, it was much, much healthier. Um, yeah. Now to, to do this well, uh, you can't go on the attack. Don't like DM somebody. And I have, I had one of my, my former um, uh, intern pastor uh, just posted something and some random dude went after her on Instagram, all kinds of invectives and insults and terrible stuff. And so if you, if, even if you're provoked, you know, don't start well, like on the attack, direct message, you know, keep it short, humble and gentle. Say, hey, I, I'm struggling to understand. Can, can you help me? Um, also just as a pro tip, there's a lot of creeps uh, that try to slide into women's DMs. So make sure your comments are on topic. Um, and ideally you should know the person somewhat personally before you just like, jump into someone's direct messages. Right. Yeah. What, I, what do you say to people who have kind of been in some like online battles and they're just like, you know what? It's not even worth it anymore. Like I don't feel like commenting. I don't want to correct this. I don't want to participate in the online form of communication. Cause I just see it as a hopeless endeavor. Like people don't change. Like how would you, would you encourage them to, you know, to, 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 to get back in that community or what is your, advice to someone who's like a little bit disenfranchised and disenchanted. I, I think boundaries are good in communication and relationships. And sometimes you recognize, you know, this is not, I'm not getting any life from this and I'm not giving anybody life from this. So you know, maybe it's better that I take it. And even if you don't leave forever, sometimes people just, I need a break. I just need to log off for a while or I'm going to switch platforms or sometimes I'm, I'm going to go through and I'm just going to curate my following a little bit. Um, this gets harder when you're a pastor because you, you look like you're playing favorites. You, know, um, uh, you can't, you know, someone who, 
you may disagree, but they still consider you a pastoral figure or someone who they've connected, you, you know, your creative work they've connected with. And so it, it's trickier, but it's not bad um, for many people to, to just sort of go through and say, you know, there, there's a few people who are, are toxic and, um, you know, it, it's, it's not helpful for anybody, you know, to, to maintain this. And so you may unfollow sometimes that way I don't get you know, if you don't want to unfriend somebody, you unfollow them. That way you don't see their posts. You don't have to worry about it. Um, but yeah, I, it, it's, there's not a general rule except for, you know, know your boundaries and know when it's um, affecting your quality of life. Uh, but I have seen um, some very uh, encouraging conversations happen. I have seen people interact where there has been, even if the opinions don't change, um, they, they get more nuanced a little bit. Um, and I've watched people who are diametrically opposed somehow develop this. It's like a friendly antagonistic relationship and they actually end up really liking each other because they agree over certain things. They just have this few issues they sort of expect each other to engage with, but there's a good camaraderie there. Uh, I think there has to be a base level of respect. I mean, on my, any of my pages, I kind of watch for things start, if people start insulting each other or it gets nasty, I, you're, you're out. I'll just, block your uh, right away. Like there, there's a certain level of, of baseline of respect that um, can disagree. You can be passionate about it. Um, but we all have our own boundaries and I, I communicate that pretty clearly. Like this is my expectation. You know, if we're going to continue this dialogue, um, have it be passionate. Um, but don't, you know, don't call names, you know, um, and, yeah. And, but we all have to kind of figure out where those boundaries are. Yeah, absolutely. And we talked a little bit about, you know, seeing meaning, uh, Meanings are in people and not in words. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So uh, this is um, kind of a basic idea of, of communication theory is uh, meanings are in in people, not words. One of the barriers to intercultural communication I talk about in my book is assumed similarity, which means I assume other people, um, they like what I like, they hate what I, I hate. And uh, these assumptions are so ingrained. I mean, who doesn't like pizza, right? And who doesn't like chocolate? Um I, I have relatives who don't, and I don't understand how they're part of my family. Like, are you sure that you're related to me? What's wrong with you? Um, so we just assume these things. Um, we're not even aware that they're assumptions. Uh, and these can be seen in how we define terms. For example, if you say feminism or Black Lives Matter, you know, uh, I could be meaning one thing and somebody else thinks I mean another uh, based on their experiences. Uh, and so what ends up happening is uh, you can even use the term Adventism, you know, and people are going to have a, a host of reactions mm -hmm. to that term. Uh, someone's going to use a term such as one of these and others are going to react to it based on their definitions um, and their experiences and the, and the meanings they've assigned um, to it. Uh, but words and, and language are, are symbols and they change and they're fluid. And so the word cat is meaningless in Mongolia. You know, it doesn't make any sense, but here in our English language system, um, it, it makes total sense. It refers to a house pet that most of us, you know, I've got two of them, you know, and so totally makes sense. Uh, and we do this with theological terms in the pulpit. We'll throw terms around when we're preaching, just assuming everybody knows uh, what 1844 means, uh, what, what the sanctuary refers to. Um, and, and they don't, and they may not, or they, or they think of something completely different. Uh, mm -hmm. so based on our personal experiences in education, we tend to come at terms very differently and one of the the problems, one of the analogies I use to illustrate the problems of, uh, that can happen in these conversations, uh, I'm not a handy person. I'm not a maintenance person. I, I have very small DIY skills. But what I've been told is if you if you do tile work and that first tile is crooked, um, the whole project, you know, whether it's a shower or the floor, the whole thing is going to be crooked. And if we start our conversations um, defining terms differently, you know, I've watched so many conversations between the intelligent, you know, 
good intentioned people, but but they define a term based on two very different experiences. And and I watch these people just talk past each other, and they're not, you know, um, they they may realize they're not actually not on opposing sides, but they've have opposing definitions of the term. You know? And so, right. uh, when we enter these conversations, or if we're especially if we're going to preach on something um, that tends to be emotionally or politically charged, we have to really make sure that we're defining our terms very clearly and saying, when I come at this concept, here is what I mean by that. You know, mm. versus what you may be thinking. Yeah, no, I think that's so key. You know, how can we have a conversation if we're not on the same page in the beginning? Right. Yeah. Uh, one thing I think that you brought up that I think is really important, check your sources. And uh, I think that that's something that I've had to do for a couple of friends. I've They've sent me stuff that's very mm-hmm. fanatical and they've, you know, you get the big long emails and they're like, you need to check this out. Don't do this or... Anyway, and you have to say, well, actually, some of the sources that you cited were incorrect. That's an uncomfortable yeah. conversation, but talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so one uh, from that, check your sources, uh, and, and see, it can be simple. You know, I mean, if you get an article, read the title of it, the subject of it, and then a quick Google search or whatever whatever search engine you use, and you'll find out oftentimes uh, that was something that was debunked even six months ago two years ago. It's not even new. Um, but because it shows up on these other websites, um, it looks new. And and this is the other thing. We need to check the sources of our sources. We need to go even deeper. Uh, so especially for online posts, people will send emails. Uh, and you mentioned articles, memes, op-ed pieces where the title is, is relevant or confirms our biases. But if you would look at the source that, that, that it's shared from, um, there's a lot of problems. Often, even just a few minutes researching the history of a news organization yields a picture of their track record in terms of journalistic integrity, mm. uh, their vetting process. And so if you've got this source that you've cited an article from, and then you realize that it's not just this article that's problematic, but the source it comes from is like the National Enquirer, or it's got like, you know, uh, it's been, or, or the news source was like, created two weeks ago in someone's basement. You know, I mean, there's not, it's not, doesn't have a lot of what we would consider really, uh, um, really good checks and balances to determine what's coming out of there. Uh, and likely when the wilder, the claims that we're getting, um, uh, the more clickbaity or, or emotional the titles, it's usually kind of a flag that this is, this is a site that that's simply trying to, um, provoke us into giving, at attention versus careful uh, reporting from uh, a newsroom that's been around for a while, that's established, that has processes that have been vetted. That's not to say that it, it, just legacy news and media is the only sources we go to, um, but checking, um, just doing a check on, on any news source, um, not just the article, to see what where am I getting this from? Is this a place... Uh, that's considered reputable or is it embroiled in all kinds of legal and lawsuit battles um, that I probably don't want to be citing things from. Yeah, no, I think it's, you know, it goes back to being a Berean in that sense, right? Yes. I think that's always been the call, you know, check the scriptures, check the sources, be somebody who doesn't just take something for face value. And it takes work, you know, and especially the internet can feel like the wild, wild west, but yes, it's it's possible. (laughs) Uh, Lastly, you know, what is invitational rhetoric? 
Uh, invitational rhetoric uh, comes from Sonia Foss and Cindy Griffin uh, in the mid-90s. When we look at rhetoric, typically like classical rhetoric, uh, it's it's meant to win arguments. You know, we look at, you know, things like syllogisms and enthememes and, you know, logos, ethos, pathos, all those kind of things to, to build an argument, a real uh, a soundly structured argument to beat our opponent in a debate, um, in court, uh, those kinds of things. And... Uh, in the mid-90s, these two scholars said maybe there's a different way to approach persuasion that isn't geared to scoring points or, or attacking the integrity of, of our, our perceived opponent. And so invitational rhetoric has three main values, equality, self-determination, and inherent value. So even if, I, even if it's painful for me, you know, um, when I, I have to admit the other person, they have an inherent value. And as a Christian, we recognize this is, this is somebody who, who Jesus died for. This is somebody who Jesus loves. Um, whether I feel that love in my heart or not, <laughs> I, have to, I have to admit right. that. Um, and we believe in self-determination, meaning I'm not going to manipulate them. You know, I'm not going to uh, m- manipulate images and content or use uh, language games to try to uh, catch them, you know, and, and manipulate them into, you know, or overpower them to embrace my position. And equality, recognizing they've got a perspective that maybe I need to hear. Um, and so what they suggest is when we enter into these discussions, we start by asking for people's story. Well, tell me how you came to that position. Tell me your story. And then are you open to me telling my story? And what often happens is we're not, because we're not directly attacking each other, we're just sharing you know, our, our journeys. Uh, it's often more persuasive than had I directly attacked them in the first place. Huh, like, huh, I never I never thought of that. Oh, that makes sense. Um, even And even at the end, if we don't come to an agreement on stuff, at least I understand you. At least I understand, you know, I may not have that conclusion, but I... I understand how you would get there and I can affirm that. And uh, it just makes for, for better dialogue. And, and that kind of gets at the title of the book as well, seeking an understanding before we can seek solutions. We have to take time to understand each other. Otherwise um, whatever engagement we have isn't going to end up being toxic. Yeah, no, I love that. I really appreciate the points that you brought, you know, how to begin to engage and navigate difficult conversations without breaking relationships. And and as always, you know, I want to give you kind of the last uh, piece and the last moment to kind of say some things to our audience that you might not have mentioned about, you know, how do we navigate this kind of very polarized and incendiary world of social media and but also just a various uh, different political opinions even with inside the church how do we begin to navigate those and still have some type of semblance of uh, brotherly sisterly camaraderie and love yeah I, I mean bringing it back to the words of christ you know um you know the golden rule you know, do unto others as you would have them you know do unto you uh kind of an idea it just taking stock of the way we communicate, how we communicate and saying, you know, if I'm going to engage with somebody, um, if I'm going to put myself in the other person's shoes, you know, what is likely to be heard, what is not likely to be heard, um, what's going to make me feel attacked and diminish, you know, my inherent value. And is that really how I need to communicate? And again, there are times when we're direct and we're bold and we call stuff out and where we speak truth to power. You know, I don't want to come across as saying those aren't, aren't, um, real times where we need to speak out. I mean, we have a whole biblical tradition of, of the prophets, you know, calling out injustice and that needs to happen. But I think before we go to those more intense forms of communication, we, we try to start, uh, however we can with, with, um, 
regard for the other person, regard for their intentions. And as the, I mean, as the conversation moves on, it may need to take a different approach. Uh, but a lot of us, I think, are, especially during a pandemic, everyone has been destabilized. Everyone, And when you're destabilized, we're all groping for narratives um, to make sense of what's happening. And propagandists know this. And so they will put things out there um, oversimplified solutions, uh, polarizing solutions. And so again, taking the time, you know, to slowly process things, uh, treating others with respect and, and giving ourselves permission to have boundaries and not to engage with everything. You're not called to win every argument and you're not called even to enter into every argument. Um, yeah. so don't, so give yourself grace to sometimes just walk away and, and catch your breath. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate you sharing with us today. Um, if, where can people find your book? Where can they find more material from you? How can they follow you? Yeah, so uh, the book is available on Amazon.com and AdventSource.org, uh, I believe. Um, I think it's back, but I know the paperback, I think it's sold out. Um, the Kindle version is still on um, Amazon, but I think that the more paper copies are coming. But AdventSource.org is where you can, you can order it directly. Uh, you can follow me um, at Professor Pierce on Instagram, and you can follow me on Twitter, uh, where I'm probably the most active, at Seth J. Pierce. And also you can, you can find me on Facebook. Again, I'm not as active on Facebook, uh, but Twitter and Instagram are where I spend most of my time. I hope this conversation placed a few mindful tools into your tool bag as you begin to tackle difficult conversations while maintaining relationships. For a more in-depth look on improving your communication, you can check out Dr. Pierce's book, Seeking and Understanding. If you're not already following us on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, be sure to do so at Advent Next. You can follow our guest today, Dr. Seth Pierce, on Twitter at Seth J. Pierce, and you can follow me at Kendra Arsenault with an X. I just want to say thank you to those of you who have left reviews on Apple Podcasts or are engaging in the comments through YouTube. I really love hearing from you. So if you enjoyed this discussion or topics like these, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or send me a request to cover various topics that you're interested in. Thanks so much for tuning in and see you next week.